0: Hey, everyone, this is Mike Dunn, and you are listening to Rethinking EDU. I am, as usual, super excited to be hanging out with our guests remotely, of course. Um, We are here hanging out this evening remotely, of course, with our friends Eva Mejia from Big Picture Learning and... Zelia Gonzalez, who is a recent graduate of the Met in Sacramento, and is currently a student at Cornell University. Before we get into talking with them though, let's check in with the co-hosts. Matt, how are you feeling tonight?
1: doing well. Um, Spent the day sort of uh, floating down a river on a tube with my family. So uh, (laughs) that was fun, and I'm happy to be uh, excited to be talking with you guys tonight.
0: Awesome. What about you, Janine?
2: Well, there was a little drama right before we got ready to get started here. Um, My father had purchased one of those big blow-up bouncy pool sort of things for my kids. Um, But it was used. What it used. And it's been awesome. We've been using it for the past couple weeks or whatever. But um, my youngest son went down the slide and somehow punctured it with his foot. So... It was like a disaster like five minutes before we got started here so i don't know i've got to look for a patch kit or something oh, no. but i'm really looking forward to our conversation tonight and especially uh, to share a student perspective
0: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that sounds uh you know potentially terrible there at the Janine household. <laughs>
2: but you know whatever whatever some sad children yeah <laughs>
0: And let's check in with Zelia. So Zelia, uh, where are you located right now? And uh, how are you feeling tonight?
3: Well, thank you. Um, I am located uh, back in my parents' house in Sacramento, California, and I am feeling good. I found time to like, clean my space so <laughs> my house smells like a home goods store and I'm very happy.
0: I am very jealous. That's awesome. <laughs> I need to uh pick up some of those those um cleaning habits. Uh we are getting ready to move over here and so I am trying to like piece all my stuff together and you know, it's always a good time. But um, yeah, cool. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. And Eva, where are you calling in from? And how are you feeling this evening?
4: I'm feeling great. I'm calling in from San Diego. Um, I grew up in San Diego and Tijuana on both sides of the border. Um, But I don't live here anymore. I usually live in Northern California. And only when you're from Southern California is Northern California. Does that feel like bad weather to you or cold so I've been spending most of the time when I'm in San Diego, I, I try to have my office outside. So if you hear a little wind or some birds and, uh, today, it's because I literally put out a table on my parents' terrace, and that's where I work from uh, and try to be outside as much as possible.
0: That sounds amazing. And I said this earlier that I think we could really use some maybe birds chirping in the background of our episode just to make things a little nicer for everybody. Um So I appreciate that. (laughs) So we're here talking with you both. Thank you so much again for joining us. And we're going to talk about big picture learning. So big picture learning for everybody out there who is uh, listening and you never heard of big picture learning. Um, They've been around since the mid 90s, founded in um, uh, Providence, Rhode Island by Dennis Lickie and Elliot Washer. There's an amazing sort of creation story that goes along with Big Picture. There's a couple of really great books. Um, check them out. And um, Eva works for Big Picture as their uh, chief strategy and program officer. Sorry, I meant to say chief program and strategy officer. And Eva, can you kind of give us the you know broad spectrum overview of what a Big Picture school is? Um, what are some of the te- central tenets of a Big Picture school? Absolutely. And if it's okay, I think I might actually switch it around and have Zelia
4: tell you about her experience first. And then I can come Uh. in and tell you sort of like what was behind um, the design there a little bit, but it might be just more fun to have her tell you her story.
3: Yeah, so um, I was lucky to go to like a theme based and project based elementary school, and then I went to a very big traditional middle school, which funneled me into a very big traditional high school in Sacramento, Um, and I just uh, was not very happy there my first semester kind of felt like I wasn't really learning anything. Um, but I was busy all the time, kind of traditional education uh, stuff. And uh, so I went to look for a different type of school and really the only school in my district that was going to be different, not just like on the outside, but like on the values was um, the the Met. And so I went on a shadow day there and uh, I joined that next semester and I had been there the whole time since uh, till I graduated. And... You know, I guess I'll explain like a little bit about what my freshman year was like versus my senior year a little bit. Um, we do internships Tuesdays and Thursdays, so when I first got to the school, I didn't have an internship, so Tuesday and Thursdays, I was um in our big um multi purpose room updating my resume um and my cover letter, sending that out to workplaces that I thought would be interesting. Um, eventually, I found an internship on our on campus um bicycle repair shop. And so I worked there the rest of my freshman year. Um, and yeah, I went to classes. I took a I took a class at uh, Sac City for the first time that year as well. And then that kind of just ramped up from there. Every year I kind of found an internship that was more meaningful to me, um, kind of honing in on what I like to do. I had ended up uh, at a elementary school next where I figured out I did not want to be a teacher. <laughs> um, love all the teachers out there, and I have so much respect for you all. Uh, I realized that I could not do it. Um, and then I went to a cultural arts nonprofit, which was a wonderful experience. Um, and I learned a lot about uh, art and uh, hosting events and community liaisoning. And then I ended up working at the city of Sacramento for my last two years, where I really focused on public service and um, I ended up working a lot in minimum wage reform and then cannabis policy reform there. Um, And yeah, senior year, I had done so many college classes that I didn't really have much to do. So I ended up working at my internship my senior year, all four days. (laughs) And then Fridays, I went to my school to take my mandatory English class and to be with my advisory and do Kick Me Out, uh, which is something that we do at the end of days, Friday, the last 30 minutes with my whole school, we all just hang out together and do like an event or sometimes the science class would do like an experiment for all of us. Uh, And at the beginning of the school week, (laughs) we did that too. That's called pick me up the first 30 minutes of school um, at the beginning of the week. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll pause there so that Eva can jump in. And then you can ask me any other the details you you know I missed.
0: <laughs> I just want to point out though that like your your gateway into your big picture school was your internship at a bicycle repair shop. That's so cool. <laughs> just for the record, that is super super cool. Um, but Eva, what do you want to what do you want to add into that or illuminate a little bit more for us?
4: First, you'll see why I didn't want to go first, (laughs) because there's nothing I could tell you uh, that would, um, you know, it it pales in comparison to tell it um, the color that uh, Zelia and any really any of our students um, can bring to telling the story of our schools is 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 much richer than what I can share. Um, But really, what I want to highlight in in her story is that, you know, one of the things that you heard is that um, she drove the learning. So it wasn't like, here's welcome to high school the way that I got, which I got my little paper that had like, these are my classes, these are my you know, required and X number of years of English and X number of years of math and all these things. Um, it really was Zelia's interest that drove the learning, not just the normal subjects. Um, and part of that, which um, is is evident actually in the in the bicycle shop, is that when we're saying that she's driving the learning, it's not just about head-centered work that revolves around reading writing or math or some some of some of the ways that we think about academics and learning which is actually just a small piece of what you know what can be learned in the world um so we know that there are talents in the trades in the arts in uh real world problem solving and so um rather than recreate them all inside the classroom by having a lot of um, workshops and, and um, art spaces and, and things in the school, which we do have some of that, um, we really try to make use of the whole community. And so the community, the real world is the school. There are these permeable boundaries between the school. So it's getting the school out to the community and the community into the school. And so you heard her talk about her internships and in those internships, and I'm sure she'll share more, um, she had adult mentors who um, really could guide her. So rather than have us tell her what the standards for doing excellent work at any of the places where she worked, it was it was the mentors telling her what excellent work was and pushing her in, in her doing real world projects. So real things that were going to make the life um, and the work at each of those places um. better and um and then another thing that's that's a big part of of our work and of course none of that none of the things that I've said really um cold if we don't know our students and so there's a big component of um knowing having each student be well known um by their advisor by the teachers everybody in the community so that we know you know who who is Zelia? what is who Matters to her, matters to her family. Where does she want to go in life? What you know? What what's important to her in her identity and and how is she developing? And so um, the advisories are are the place that, where that happens. And um, and being connected to that, a small group of students are connected to their advisor for for the most part. It's for their whole um, high school experience. Although sometimes there are some shifts in that. Um, so those are some of the key components. Um, and I should say, though, there is a there's some variety among our schools, and that's intentional and good are um, when we work with folks, it really is working with them. To see what about our model makes sense for them in their context and what needs to be innovated and adapted on. Um, so some schools have, for example, the uh, the uh, West in Oakland has a strong social justice focus because that's what's important to that community and that's what they want to do. Other schools have a bit of a a STEM uh, theme and and that's what's important to their communities. So um, some of our schools vary uh, along with what matters to that community.
0: Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned right away, which I really want to maybe hear a little bit more from Zelia about uh, is that students at big picture schools are well-known students. And that is a a super big problem. And I'm sure Zelia can talk about that as as she transitioned from her large comprehensive public high school to her big picture school. Zelia, do you want to kind of talk about that shift from being a just maybe another another student to being like, you know, part of the fabric of the school?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, going from my big public high school to this school, uh, I was shocked at how I ever went to a school where I could go to six different classes and they knew nothing about me. Like after having been in a class where someone could know me, like it just shocked me that um, that was how I was expected to be for the last four years. And then You know, going from the Met where I had really strong relationships with different teachers, not even just my advisor, like with other teachers that got to know me and got to speak on me um, in our gateways and our panels, uh, our exhibitions at the end of every um, quarter that got to speak to my credit in their own classrooms and what they see about me in my hallway and my relationships, even with the principal that I never would have had. At the big high school that I had gone before, I actually got to accomplish projects with my principal's help at the Met. Um, and <laughs> the principals at the school I went to before were strictly disciplinarians. So that just that relationship would have never existed before. Yeah, that was such an interesting transition also into college where I once again kind of became another student in a cog, if you would say. Um, but I was lucky because the Met you know, teaches us. Well, I don't even want to say teaches because I don't know that I was directly taught like this is how you have relationships, but it allows us the opportunity to foster and learn and like for ourselves and grow through relationships with adults that I knew that, oh, I need adult relationships in college and I need to go those for myself, but I know how to make friendships with adults and to have great relationships with professors and find a mentor for myself on campus because I know that that's what I need. So it, it was interesting being in all three environments, but in the end, knowing you know what to do in that situation where I saw a lot of my peers in college struggle with that afterwards.
4: She's talking about, um, I think speaks to the underlying um, pedagogy in big picture schools and, and Elliot and, and Dennis coined the terms uh, relationships, relevance and rigor Uh, years ago. And so that being known. So having that relationship, that's how you know what is relevant um, to young people. And then you can really turn up the rigor because now when she's hooked and hooked and she has an issue that she's working on and that you heard her talk about advocating for policy change in Sacramento. She is going to up her own rigor or it can very easily we can very easily up her own rigor around um, the learning that she needs to do for those projects. Um, so that's that's kind of the order of how it goes and it was lovely to hear how you took you you took that and then you you made your Cornell experience be that um, so that always makes us proud and um, and one of the other things that I think is important to mention is that the issue of being known is is really coming to the forefront in education now, because as folks are trying to connect with young people um, over Zoom or over distance learning, when you don't know your students, um, it, you know, trying to publish and keep any kind of connection is, is nearly impossible. Um, whereas if, if you've got a relationship that you're building on, then you, you know what their situation is like, what things are like at home. And so it's, it's a lot easier to build on that and, and, and stay. It's more about staying connected as opposed to trying to build that connection during these
0: times. Zelia, it's pretty clear that you had some really amazing experiences at the Met. And I'm wondering, now that you're at Cornell, how some of those experiences have translated into your college experience?
3: Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to hand this off to Eva to maybe tell the story about <laughs> how I approached you, because I feel like that illustrates it better.
4: <laughs> well, we could always do you tell the story, then I tell the story and see if they match at this point. <laughs> okay. Um, but, All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you're welcome to tell them about, you know, what you did in the in the first years at Cornell as well. But yeah, how we met was, uh, I think it's a very big picture and it's a very COVID story. So Zelia, like, um, you know, thousands or I don't know how many uh, college students were uh, experienced in, in March. Uh, she was sent home um, to school closing and um, and things turning around really fast. And I I don't know how many days you were home, Zelia, before you started emailing out um, to
3: how many days were you home? I wasn't home yet. I had actually approached Andrew before that I wanted an internship over the summer and then... I just was like okay now <laughs> when we were getting home.
4: <laughs> exactly yeah so she didn't even arrive in California before she was uh uh getting her request for a summer internship into a now internship and so um she met with a bunch of us at Big Picture and said um you know this is my trajectory this is what I've been up to these are my internships and she could gave together this story that made her sound like she was a mid-career professional because she was telling me that she was interested in issues of social justice and she had thought about education but she knew teaching wasn't her her role because she had spent some time in the classroom and so she was looking for a different role and she had these questions around how an organization manages their strategy and 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 manages through change and builds capacity in these things and I'm like I'm sorry, I must have the video l- wrong. Like you clearly sound like you're much older. Um, and and she did sound like a mid-career professional because in some ways she has been uh having a career for a long time. So she she turned that uh being home into a, a big picture uh experience where she she said um she said all these things and and of course uh in true big picture fashion, I, I gave her a bunch of um of assignments. I said oh yeah, you're interested in this, read this, do that. Um, and let's talk again next week. And she had all these thoughts and um, we invited her to some of uh, the professional development uh, communities of practice that we were doing that that week with uh, some of our leaders in our schools. And she was in there with them, talking to them about her experience and brainstorming how to transition into, um, into online learning and, and being a thought partner. And so she kind of started her internship before, being my official intern and uh and a week after when we met I was like yeah so we're we're doing this thing um so she's been my my intern quote unquote uh for now a couple of months and um as she as she's making the best out of her experience so
3: so now I'll expand on that (laughs) and I'll say that in college like the difference between myself and my peers and what I think helped me a lot from big picture was that I already had a network I knew who to reach out to Um, I also had, um, you know, like I had said, I I knew how to build new relationships with people. So when there was like networking opportunities or I met new people on my campus, I knew how to create relationships and sustain them. And then exactly what I think Eva um, had heard from me, too, is that like I knew how to story tell about myself because I had practiced it every single quarter at the Met that was what exhibitions were, was telling the story of yourself and how you've grown and your personal development and what you're looking forward to next. And so I had been practicing that for the last three and a half years and, and into college, I knew what to say because I knew I had reflected on myself and what I wanted to do next. And I think something that gets lost and while I'm so grateful <laughs> for all the praise and it's very sweet, I think that it gets lost that this is not just the pedestal students who are like this. Um, every single person I graduated with could be speaking to you right now in this exact same way. And everyone has had similar you know, um, experiences at the Met that have put them in a position where they are more comfortable in uncertainty because they, you know, have have their networks, they know how to storytell, they know what they're interested in and what they're doing next. Like, I have a friend, um, Morrissey, who started working at uh, a VW auto shop down the street, and he is <laughs> totally skilled at Volkswagen Automotives, and that's, he has his job during quarantine right now. I have another friend who worked as a, um, a graphic uh he's a photographer for a huge graphic studio downtown and he's one of their like more experienced and senior photographers now where his job is more safe than others like there is a lot of experience that we get um that puts us in a in a different position than others yeah Uh, just like eva has said (laughs) before you know i i I like to think that I'm special, but I'm not exceptional. And all of my peers could be talking exactly like I am. And and you should reach out to them because they have great stories to tell as well. I
1: wanted to get some insight uh, from you both. Um, You've mentioned a bit that the teachers are are advisors. And uh, Zelia, I wanted to get your insight first. Um, So teachers at uh, Big Picture Learning at the Met that uh, you went to, they're called advisors. How did you experience them different than teachers you had in the in the past?
3: Oh uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um yeah, so every teacher at the Met, or for the most part, every teacher also has their own advisory, which they've had since their students were in ninth grade, up until they graduate that class um in the in the next four years. There are some exceptions, but um and so I think the main difference between when I went to a larger high school and and when I went to the Met was that um Every single one took the time to understand where I was coming from. Um, And I think a story that maybe illustrates that best is that, I was uh, once kicked out (laughs) of my math class. And I think that like at a traditional high school, this would have ended in much more of like a detention in a punitive way. Um, But I was uh, messing around in like an algebra two class and I was goofing off and I was distracting other folks because I had gotten my work done before and I was just kind of bored, I guess, Um, just kind of being a a troublemaker. And um, my teacher, instead of, you know, sending me outside to sit (laughs) on the ground or get me in trouble, give me detention, which I'm not even sure if that entirely exists at the Met, not that I experienced. um, He kicked me out of class, but he redirected me towards his college class and said, you know, you're distracting folks, you need a different challenge. And I think that that illustrates the kind of relationships, the one student at a time that the Met is all about. Um, if he didn't know me and hadn't been paying attention to my work, if the class sizes weren't small, if he didn't have a relationship where he could kick me out and I didn't think that it was him being mean to me, that situation could have gone completely different. And I could completely imagine, and I have peers in the bigger high school and my friends who have experienced this where, you know, they've been kicked out for no reason from classes where they easily, you know, just needed someone to talk to them, um, and find a better place for them. So I don't know if Eva, you want to jump in.
1: Well, let me, uh, let me just ask a quick follow-up to you. So that, that conversation that you had that was really influential, what what was the context of that? How did that take place? Where did that take place? When did that take place? Oftentimes in schools, there's there's no time for those sorts of uh, deep, meaningful conversations.
3: Yeah. Um. Well, it's not that it's one deep, meaningful conversation. It's mm. that he knew me from a whole year and had, you know, um, gotten to know me and talked with me in little spurts. But you know, I also got to know him. It was a two-sided relationship where. I understood um, that he could be vulnerable with me and I could be vulnerable with him. So it created a a relationship, not just one meaningful conversation. And I think if I remember, I I can't remember the entire situation, but I think that day he just asked me to go and do something so that I would get out of the classroom. And then I think he talked to me after school when I was walking down the hallway and he was like, yeah, you're not going to be in that class anymore. You're going to go to Sac City with me after school. And so, (laughs) and I, you know, was just, I, I completely understood. He was like, you're messing around and distracting other students. And he just asked me to do something, you know, to help him in the class. And I did it. And I think that the relationship that we had built over a longer period of time made that. So that wasn't like an elaborate, Mm -hmm. dramatic situation. Yeah, that's,
1: that's really cool. Eb, I wanted to get, your input from, from the other side, from the, um, you know, the admin side, the running, the, the, uh, organization. So advisory, we've talked about this a bit throughout, and I, I appreciate Zelia's um, story. Like those stories are, are so helpful to hear. Um, and it's obvious that it's important. Um, how have you at big picture learning gone about to structure things to make advisory, uh, an important element of the learning process?
4: Absolutely. And I think you you hit the nail in the head by asking about time, um, because sometimes the structures and, and literally the time doesn't allow for the relationships and the richness that we're talking about. So um, the to the extent possible, having um, the learning be, sur- be done around advisory and having advisory serve as large blocks of time where um, that is the core of somebody's learning experience and now I mentioned schools that do it a little bit different and there's um, some hybrids so at zelia's school they they have some classes you heard her talk about math class so they have they do have some classes but advisory is a big chunk of it and in advisory you do these independent learning plans where you write out your own goals your own um you know, development goals in different areas, and and that's where the internship at the bicycle shop makes sense. It's 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 based on that independent learning plan that you work with an advisor on. Um, so all those structures, the plan, the time to to work with folks. Another thing that um that sometimes surprises people that is important to note because I think it's a really part important part of the design of the internships. Is that um, the students get their own internships. Uh, You heard it quickly in in Zelia's story where she said that she was practicing um, cold calls. Like you have young people making cold calls during school and they're um, frankly so cute. (laughs) When you've got ninth graders on their cell phone calling somebody and you've got like other of their peers kind of cheering them on and like um, getting them excited because they are calling that bicycle shop or they are calling that, um, you know, that that office or 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 that other that workshop or wherever it is that they're interested in. And they're saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a student at the school and I am interested in X and and that storytelling that uh, zili is talking about. So they learn how to do that, and they get their own internships, and they they fail too. They they get hung up on, on cold calls like we do as adults, uh, but they learn how to do that and how to tell their own story. Um, so that's part of the curriculum of that advisory, uh, so that they can they can do that. So the, the, those I appreciate the question about the structures because it, it you definitely need those structures to to get those those wins, and it's not something that can happen with you know what was called advisory when I went to school was. To minutes of announcements essentially um and it was a yeah it's exactly so it's, it's yeah. we're talking about the the center of your learning not the announcements and the mm. place where you or the you know the homeroom kind of approach
3: if you'll allow me to add to that um just real quick about the relationships um in in advisory Um, Advisors are also supposed to be your advocate. So the relationship you have with your advisor, that's someone that also is like your first go-to if something's going wrong. Well, you advocate for yourself first and then you bring in your advisor to back you up because they know about your home life. They know about your family. They've been tracking your progress for the last however many years they were in class. They've been in every one of your exhibitions. And so those have someone in your court. I can, I remember advocating for myself in a classroom in a traditional school and no one is there to back you up. No one knows you well enough to say, oh yeah, what she's saying is true. Like this, we're going to create an independent learning plan for her around this and those things. Um, and I'll also add what you said, Eva, about friends, <laughs> like other students, like uh, hyping each other up while they're calling. That That is so true. And the people in your advisory, like those become your best friends um, in your family. And I remember, you know, us all helping each other with what we didn't know and, and helping edit each other's cover letters and say, hey, could you um, just sit with me in the room while I make this call in case I'm struggling? Like that was the sort of relationship we had with each other that maybe, you know, we didn't know um and couldn't, you know, identify with each other in you know surface level ways, but we grew together over four years, and we all watched each other progress. And so those relationships were were very meaningful for sure.
0: I just want to share two follow up things. One funny, one not so funny, funny. Um, I don't know about you all, but when I had advisory when I was in high school, all we did was watch Channel One News with Anderson Cooper. Anybody with me? Y'all watch that? Huh? 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 No?
4: Apparently, I'm older because we had announcements read to
0: us. <laughs> ah, we had them on like a, a television in the room.
4: <laughs> Promise you, I didn't go to school before television, though. Okay.
0: Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, the other <laughs> funny, not so funny thing is that uh, when I was a big picture advisor, in really my first teaching job was. Um, in Detroit. And I still text back and forth with some of those students. And that was like 2007 or something like that. So a really long time ago. And I don't even keep in that close of contact with some of the students that have graduated from my school right now um, in the last couple years. And so those relationships that you're pointing out, Celia and Eva, are, are as critical to the big picture model is no joke. You know, it is really the heart and the soul of what make big picture schools really great. Go ahead, Janine.
2: Well, I really do love that you were referring to your your advisor as an advocate, um, that, you know, I that you, you painted a perfect picture of telling that story of, you know, being in the traditional public school and, you know, you have a teacher, but the, you know, who's got your back? <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I appreciated hearing that. But I'm wondering could could you talk a little bit about like the day to day like what does it look like for a typical for student at Big Picture what's their day look like are there traditional classes or is this really like all project work hands on the internships or or what else is there
3: uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, Eva had talked about how all schools are kind of different and uh, the motto is one student at a time. So I don't know that I could paint you <laughs> like a traditional day for any student because like my day and my projects that I work on and what I was doing was so different. Um, and like I had said, like my senior year looked totally different than other people's senior year. But I think I can tell you like the basic structure was like Mondays, pick me up and then you go to your first two classes. Um, And then you go to advisory for a huge chunk of time, lunch, advisory again, and then you go to your final class um, and then advisory for the last 30 minutes and you're gone. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, you're at your internships for six hours. Um, So that's all you work on. Um, And then Wednesday and Thursdays are pretty much uh, reproductions of Monday. um, But kick me out is the last 30 minutes on, um, a Friday.
2: So are you, ta- do you still take like traditional, like algebra one course and, you know, English?
3: Yeah. So, um, the Met, the Met Sacramento and I, and I, I'm going to probably defer to Eva on the other things, but we followed A through G, um, standards. So yeah, we, we had traditional, um, offerings for like classes. Um, but because of our size, you know, we didn't have anything like Extraordinary, like some schools have robotics class. We didn't really have that. But what we did have was this thing called Panther Pipeline, which was a way for us to take community college classes for really anything that we wanted to take. So that's how I took the more advanced math class earlier. Um, and it's how I took psychology of death and dying. It's how I took, um, an (laughs) astral, I almost said astrology an astronomy class. Um, and it's how I took, uh, you know, it's how I got rid of my Spanish requirement (laughs) and some of my other
2: math requirements was because I got to take them at Sac City. Um, neat. Yeah. That sounds like there's loads of opportunities there for like a personalized learning plan and being able to, to really focus in on your own interests and what you're doing there. Um, you mentioned some of your, you, you, you can did some projects, I guess, in, was it in conjunction with your internships or, or what were some of the projects that you did, or maybe was there one that was really of interest to you that you were proud of?
3: Uh, yeah, sure. So some projects are your personal projects that you use to fulfill your learning goals. Um, And your independent learning plan Um, and that but most of your projects come through um, something that you develop at your internship. So after being at your internship for a month or so or however long you start to get a feel of like what you can do to um, help that community and what you can do to assist at your job. And that's where a lot of projects come from. So um, one of my projects when I worked for Soul Collective and Arts, Culture and Activism Community Center was a. Um, built an uh, art exhibit for the Crocker's Teen Takeover, which is an art museum in our town. Um, that when they did a teen takeover, I did a, a art installation there um, that involved uh, other young people coming and adding their own art to it. So I had developed that Um, installation as my project. Um, And then for a very different flavor, when I worked at the city of Sacramento, um, one of my projects was supporting the um, task force for a new minimum wage. So very different vibe, but uh, two
2: different projects. Very cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those are such interesting projects and super cool kind of stuff that you got a chance to work on. I kind of want to zoom out just for a second. We've heard a lot about Celia's experience and we've heard a lot about um, what it can be like to be a student at a big picture school. Um, We're still talking about uh, networks of schools and networks in general in in our uh, current series. And so maybe Eva, I would love to hear from you about what is happening sort of on the national level at big picture. Um, So how many big picture schools are kind of in the works in the country right now and what are kind of some of the things that the national network is focusing on right now absolutely um
4: there are over 70 schools nationally and you've got to remember that we've been around for 25 years so uh, an interesting development Mm -hmm. has also been that for a long time we've had international partnerships So there are folks who have seen what we're doing and that have taken it to their countries and it's actually grown to be bigger than in the U.S., which is the case in Australia. So big picture Australia has, I think, um, more schools than we do. Um, And internationally, I think it's about like over 100 uh, big picture or big picture inspired schools um, that we've got. There's folks in and and actually through um, school closures and COVID response. That was one of the interesting things that happened was um, that some of our partners in Italy who were a couple weeks ahead of us in terms of infection rates and spread, um, they had had students who were very active and who were trying to codify and document some of the lessons learned. So they actually made a website that had all these resources and sort of like learnings that they had had and they were so generous in sharing with our network here in the US to say hey we're a couple of weeks ahead here's the stuff we've learned here's what we're doing and so this was students creating that website for us to learn for us and other other countries to learn from and so um maybe that's that's a that's that might be the best way to sort of explain the reach of the network um yeah, and um, and and how we think about the national um strategy is around schools' innovation and influence. That's been sort of um an organizer for us for many years. Just schools, you you know, you hear the these these uh proof points where um we're really trying to show people how how different it can be, and really push edge of understanding so that personalization doesn't mean that you get to um, organize the order of the same playlist um, as as other students. That we're talking about, you know, what you heard Zelia talk about is 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 way different than just changing the timing on the same subjects in the same playlist that um, in front of a computer that a young person might have. So we're we're pushing the envelope by showing people what that is like in our schools, which is why going to our schools and experiencing them, meeting our students is so important to us. Then innovations. Well, you can't um, you can't do this different type of schooling without having to innovate and and just make new stuff. Uh, one of the things that we've done um, is Emblaze uh, is a, a a platform where that we use to uh, to support schools in in managing the internships. So, you know, great, all these young people get their own internships all over the community. Well, years ago, it used to be binders that advisors had with all these contact information and all these sign-ins and sign-outs. And so uh, I'm I'm sure there's the concept of binders and Rahulam, you guys have been teaching, but, you know, having these binders is kind of a teacher thing. But moving from that to an app where young people can check in at their internship and mentors can communicate with the advisors Uh, And that's something we haven't talked about too much, but just the deep relationship and and collusion, I would say, between the adults that are advocating and caring for this young person. Um, And so having an app that that has them be connected has been really helpful. But just like that, there are many innovations. We've been working a lot around fellowships for um, uh, young people that are uh, want to get into the trades. So if they're uh, exceptionally gifted and, um, and you know, they want to get into the trades and those are going to be great careers for them, well, getting fellowships for them to be getting into, into those pathways um, has been an, another one of our innovations. Um, so over the years, lots of innovations, it's, it kind of serves as a bit of a incubation uh, some of our innovations sort of become their own nonprofit sometimes sometimes they they go and they they live out in the world on their own sometimes they stay with us um, so that's the the school's innovation and influence is that um, we, we're kind of all over the place and sometimes we talk about uh, policy with a capital P and, and a uh, little p of anything from uh, the school policy such that the the time and the structures will allow for this type of education. And sometimes we talk about big policy, like trying to make sure that we can give credit to young people for these incredible learning experiences and that it doesn't rely on, you know, having to write a 10 page paper about, you know, their internship and that it's more of a performance or that other, other ways of um, showing uh, competency matter. Um, So that's kind of policies that we get involved in as well. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think it's time to do a little reflecting here. Co-hosts, guests, I would love to hear some of the things that are kinda going through your brain, what, you, what this conversation has made you rethink about education Does anybody want to volunteer to go first? So
2: I'm thinking that there, there really is no one size fits all school. I think the stories that we've heard here and just how important the relationships are, and how really sometimes that that really big public school down the street is is just too big. It's too big. It can't it can't build those relationships. There's not enough time. There's not enough energy. (laughs) There's not it's just not there it's just that not the right conditions for those relationships to really be able to blossom um so i think that again just thinking about that bigger is not always better that sometimes these uh you know these smaller schools that can personalize instruction and really meet the needs of their students um it's better it's just better
0: Matt, what are you thinking, man?
1: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, one thing that's resonating deeply with me is the idea of students uh, driving the learning, right? That seems uh, like that should be an obvious idea with education that students should be driving their learning, but so often it's not the case. And and as I'm looking at different educational models and thinking about it and think thinking what motivates students and what we're not utilizing, we are not utilizing student agency within our learning and and how often are, are teachers and school systems and school boards and and leaders going to the students and having them ask them to get the internship, ask them what do they want to learn and, and allow them to run with it. Because like these examples we've heard, a lot of times if you're invested, if the students invested, they're going to do more Right, Zelia was doing more than what she would have done by doing a simple multiple choice, you know, assignment that doesn't really mean anything. But to get her invested in something and driving the learning and and utilize, and leveraging that agency, we're able to do much more than any administrator um, could really think up.
0: Yeah, I, I love what you're suggesting, Matt. And there's a there's lots of things that are coming up for me in this conversation too. I think one of them is really focused around the importance of the local community to the school. Celia talked quite a bit about the her efforts to kind of push into into the local community and get engaged with organizations in the local community and there's such a such a disconnect often between schools and their local organizations and there doesn't have to be. Young people present a wealth of ideas and energy and possibility that if local community members were just to, just to open their doors even a little bit to allow an intern twice a week or something like that uh, into, the, into what their what their inner workings are, then the benefits not only for, let's say Zelia, but for everybody later on, Because Zelia is going to go do really cool things because she's had this, these opportunities to really decide what she wants and decide the way that she wants to learn things and, and make those decisions, those agency driving moments, as you're talking about, Matt. The other thing I'm, I'm sort of thinking here is that, man, school is so much more than and eva mentioned this earlier it's so much more than just learning with your mind and there's so much richness in building and contributing and doing and so much of our current school models are built around this idea that sitting in a classroom and working with your mind and not your hands and not your heart is um the way to go and I'm just reminded in this conversation that there's much more to learning than that. Zelia, Eva, do either of you want to share a reflection with us? Well, first, thank you for listening
4: that closely. I mean, <laughs> if, if you, that's what you got out of the conversation, uh, um, I'm very pleased and proud. Um, the only thing I'll add that we didn't talk about explicitly um, is about, you know, you heard Zelia say she was uh, special and not exceptional. And I think it's super important to say that that is the case for all of our students and core to beliefs is we we work, um, we work in communities where other people don't believe that they are exceptional, that are special young people. Uh, where we work with folks that um, the teenagers that people are afraid of, uh, sad to say. And so, you know, you hear this, this story of Zelia um, she very much could have been a troublemaker or been labeled in a different way and then thought of as a uh, rebellious as a bad thing, as opposed to as a, a community leader, which is really what she is. And so, that that is core, and so we're talking about all the young people protesting in the streets. We're talking about all that power that is latent and that is there, and 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 utilizing that for good. I always talk about young people. It's like use your powers for good. Um, those powers are there, and they will use them. Um, and it's just our our responsibility as adults and mentors to make sure that they have avenues for them to use them for the greater good of the community, and that we don't teach them to be afraid of us or to be um you know to be mistreated quickly um and so that goes for um young people of color that goes for young people who live in poverty um you know all all kinds all groups that are often um kept furthest from opportunity like we're talking about that we're not talking about you know cherry picking and 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 sort of Limiting who we think has potential.
3: Eva said it so well. Um, and I will also say my experiences um, being able to come and speak to um, folks like you on podcasts like this and, and other opportunities have really proven to me that, like, people don't believe the big picture model works until they see it sometimes or until they hear from folks um and so i i had listened to an earlier podcast y'all had done with tom vander ark and he his number one suggestion was go and visit other schools and i would say go and visit other schools go and visit big picture schools because you won't believe what's possible until you see it um and i think that goes for a lot of people in education and even though COVID is um, our reality, I think it opens up the possibility um, to, to see things without barriers um, because of being online. So there's an opportunity there.
0: I love it. Let's transition into our, our final, sad, but final uh, segment of this podcast episode called Plugs. I hope you all brought something that you would like to share with our awesome listeners. Janine, what do you want to plug?
2: All right, I'm gonna go with um, edelements.com or Education Elements is what the organization is called. They are, I really like this organization because, well, they they do a lot of, they put out a lot of great uh, resources, a lot of free resources for educators, white papers, tutorials, webinars. If you sign up on their website, you can, you can get all this free, awesome information. Um, one thing that I like in particular, and I think this is a good point for what we've covered today, is they have a focus on personalized learning and competency-based education. Um, and they have a great um, white paper that they, they had put out a while ago on personalized learning that they called the core four. Um, I suggest checking it out if you have any interest in doing some personalized learning at your school.
0: Cool, sounds awesome. Matt, what do you want to plug? Yeah, I uh,
1: am just finished reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. I've been a, a bit on a uh, reading binge these days, um, and this book is perfect if you want to get uh, get a handle of your, net, your Netflix binge. Uh, he will help you um, find an, another way. Nice,
0: nice. Okay. Eva, do you want to plug something? So we've got,
4: uh, like most folks, uh, we had a summer conference that we couldn't have together. So we have turned it um, to be open actually to anybody. It's a free registration. It's called Summerfest. It's on Big Picture's website. And so we're putting out content for young people, for educators, for really community members, anybody um, online. And so that will go through uh, next week. So depending on when this airs, um, that might be there. Uh, If not, the recordings will be there. Um, A couple other initiatives that we have at the organization that you might wanna check out is um, in response to um, the protest and um, a lot of the conversations about race going on, um, our, one of our co-founders in, in, in collaboration with other folks started this thing called Books with Brothers, which is where you've got uh, men, uh, educators of color um, that are reading children's books um, on video. And so providing that gift to the community so that um, people have, especially young people, have um, an experience to, to watch that. And um, another thing, if you want to hear sort of more stories like Zelia's is um, and, and stories from all parts of our network is we had a blog series that we started um, right uh, right when school closed. And so there was a daily blog series and we even did some uh, valedictorian speeches, it obviously couldn't happen uh, live. And so there's some videos of some of our young people giving valedictorian speeches. So
0: cool, so cool. All right, Zelia, what do you want to plug?
3: Yeah, uh, I will uh, double down on Eva's. uh, The big picture blogs are wonderful. Um, I love them. Uh, And then I have a shameless plug for my own nonprofit that I'm working on called Rebel Ventures Network, which uh, takes shamelessly from big picture learning for personal and professional development for young people through structured project incubation and peer support networks. Um, it's, it's really at the beginning now, but, um, getting that started. So I'm looking for feedback, uh, from anyone (laughs) that wants to give it. Um, and that's on Instagram. Uh, and then also a book that I've been reading, uh, that was just wonderful was The Body Is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love by Sonia Renee Taylor. Uh, couldn't recommend it more.
0: Awesome read. Awesome. Well, Eva and Celia, it's been a true pleasure having you on our podcast. We appreciate the time that you've taken to speak with us and to really give us a, a deep snapshot of what Big Picture is all about. For all of you listening to our podcast, we hope that you took away from this conversation as much as we have. And again, if you can share this with your colleagues, tweet it out in your network. Um, And head on over to Apple Podcasts because the more times you rate our show, the better off we're going to be. Thanks for listening.